since that broadcast, I've had so much more information come in, and it's really interesting watching how history unfolds and just how much we have been lied to. Something that I did receive from some of the comments on the last broadcast was criticism for questioning the official written version of history. There were suggestions that by questioning the official version of history, I may be discrediting myself or the information that I'm presenting to people in other shows that I've done. But really, the official version of history is very, very questionable, ladies and gentlemen. The timeline is all wrong. It really is. And having recently discovered the work of Anatoly Fomenko and the new chronology that he has presented, it really does make a lot of sense. And you've got to understand that there were other people that also presented this chronology. Newton presented this chronology, and at least two or three other historians along the way presented this type of chronology and suggested our history was out by at least 500 to 1,000 years. And that's irrespective of what you think of Newton's other work or what you think of these other scholars' other work. It's just a simple fact that all of these three random scholars who had nothing really to do with each other all came up with the same kind of timeline. They came up with the same amount of years that have been changed, the same dates for the years that have been changed, so it really does lead a lot of credibility to this concept. And perhaps, let me correct that, not necessarily years that have been changed, but at least years that were out in the calendar. They all recommended that everything before about 1300 should be scrapped for about 500 years. All of that history should be deleted. And when I say deleted, I don't mean you delete the events, you just bring them forward in time. A lot of the stuff that we're told happened five or six hundred years before those dates actually didn't. It happened contemporaneously with other events. It's just that they pushed many of them back in time and extended the timeline by 500 to a thousand years in some places, which really doesn't need to be there because that time doesn't exist. And I'm sorry if I just can't remember their names offhand. I've had a lot of information come in the last couple of weeks. I've got a lot rattling around in my head. But it's mentioned in Anatoly Fomenko's book. And then having Fomenko's work again, this lends even more credibility to it. Because once you read Fomenko's work, it's really backed up by so much fact that it's virtually impossible to dispute. He's got so much evidence to back up what he's saying, far more than what we're presented with in the current academic version of history. Fomenko's timeline is also very much supported by the myriad of artefacts that are lying all over the world, which can't really be explained very well by modern academic history. And you've got to look at where that current academic version of history also came from, which was through Scaliger and a bunch of other people. It was virtually written by two or three people who kind of made it up and put out their opinion of what they thought it would be. And it worked well for the church, and so the church spread it everywhere, and they all worked for the church anyway. They were all working for the Jesuits when they compiled this history, and so, of course, it is questionable. Now, on the last show, I was alluding to the lost civilization that we've all been searching for for so many years. You know, this has been disputed by so many academics that this civilization existed. So many of them will say that it didn't, but you've got many, many independent researchers, including myself, who say that it did, because the evidence for it is, frankly, everywhere. And the point is that a lot of the evidence that's lying all over the world can't really be explained by the current academic timeline, but it can be explained if you factor in a lost civilization. The problem is that they're just simply not prepared to do that because if there is and they've got all this period of history they can't explain because they're sticking to this Roman timeline. And they say, well, if civilization built up from Rome and there was a civilization that existed before that, then there's a gap. 
and we can't explain that gap, so therefore this civilization couldn't have been there. And they automatically assumed that anything that doesn't fit within their Roman Scaligarian version of history must automatically be wrong, and so they're not prepared to look. And it's a very counterproductive way of looking at things, simply because they've got this box that they're forced to fit everything into, and if it doesn't fit within that box, then it must be false. And that's the predisposition of most modern academics in regard to history. It has to fit with the currently accepted timeline, or it's to be disregarded and put on the shelf as a great mystery, never to be looked at again. But as I said, if you factor in the reality that there was a lost civilization that actually existed up to quite recently and that the timeline is wrong, all of the artifacts fall into place. And if you really look at it on a wider picture, the development of technology that we've seen right up to this 5G grid we're seeing rolled out now also falls into place, how it's all been able to be achieved so quickly. And I went through a lot of that last week on the radio show. But if you want to know more about this, I do urge you to get hold of A.T. Fomenko's book, History, Science or Fiction. It's a series of six or seven books, and I do urge you to look at that. It really is a very thorough and very comprehensive revision of the current chronology. And again, if you would like a very in-depth report on just how much evidence there is supporting the existence of a lost civilization lying around the world, I do suggest that you go to a YouTube channel called New Earth and watch a series called When the Survivors of Atlantis Wake Up. The lady who put that series together, Sylvia Ivanova, has really done a fantastic job of compiling an awful lot of evidence to indicate that our history has changed, to show you where most of these relics are of these lost civilizations, and to show you quite a good deal of evidence which very much supports the suggestion that this civilization was still in full bloom up till quite recently. And this is also backed up by my research and by the research of many other people. It's just that she has compiled a very, very comprehensive series here in an 18-part video series, and I do recommend you go and watch that. But looking at it a little bit deeper, you know, Understanding the concept of this Atlantean culture and considering the possibility that it was very likely a worldwide culture, that the land that supposedly sank may not necessarily have been Atlantis, but may have been a greater landmass, and that what we refer to as Atlantis was, as I said, simply a culture of these people. It brings other possibilities into question, especially when one considers the possibility of the ancient landmass referred to as Lemuria or Mu, the great land that was apparently at some stage in the Southern Ocean. And you'll find that this is actually supported by many legends as well. And it's very likely that this was the land that sank and this was the culture that brought what we know as the Atlantean culture to the world. Now I'm just speculating with that, but it's very likely that that is what happened. And it's very likely that this culture, this ancient land of Lemuria, encompassed the lands of Australia right across through to Madagascar and possibly even joined Africa or perhaps it stopped at Madagascar and just encompassed Australia and New Zealand over to that point but it's very likely that it was there and it was these people who went out and spread their culture around the rest of the world and there may be many people that will want to dispute that claim because of the claim by modern academia that life came out of Africa this is the currently promoted hypothesis and they make this claim because the more diversity that can be found in genome types the older the race or well, this is the claim that is made anyway 
and African Negroes have, I believe, six different genome types. But what they failed to tell you in that claim is that the Australian Aboriginal actually has 32 different genome types. So if the more diversity of genome indicates the older the race, then the Australian Aboriginal would appear to be at least six times older than the African Negro. So taking that into account, it would be reasonable to assume that were an ancient culture to exist, these people would perhaps have been part of that culture. And this is a culture that predates known history, but may not exactly have existed in what we would perceive to be ancient antiquity. Although maybe it did, but it's very likely that it didn't disappear in ancient antiquity and was then replaced by the Roman Empire. It's very likely that this culture went from ancient antiquity up until around about a thousand years ago, where it fell into decline for some reason, something happened, and then it finally fell into complete decay and got wiped out from existence around about two or three hundred years ago. And the reason I'm putting this out there and claiming this as a possibility is simply because this is the hypothesis that all the evidence supports. And it's been very difficult to piece all of this together up until this point because we've been working with the timeline that we've been given by academia, assuming this to be at least vaguely correct. But with the introduction of Fomenko's new chronology, suddenly all the pieces of the puzzle fit together. Well, a great deal of them certainly do anyway, but the point is that they all lead towards the existence, they all lend credibility and go a long way to verify the existence of an ancient worldwide culture. And as I said on the show last week, this is the culture that is referred to in South American legends, Viracocha, Quetzalcoatl, and these great teachers that came. And it's also very likely that the land that they originally came from disappeared somehow and the remnants of this culture went out and settled around the rest of the world but however it happened many of the ancient cultures that we were left with such as the aboriginal culture that we found in australia when the british arrived were populated by both black skin and white skin people and this is also supported by the very little known fact that when the british came here to colonize australia there were actually white-skinned tribes, white-skinned Aboriginal tribes living here with the dark-skinned Aboriginal people. And this can be confirmed in the notes of George Augustus Robinson, who was a man who was hired as a go-between between the Aborigine people and the Crown on Swan Island off Tasmania. And this tribe was actually known as the Tasmanian Whites of Swan Island. And as I said, very, very few people know that but there were white people in amongst these tribes. And the very interesting thing about these tribes, all of the Aboriginal tribes, in fact, in Australia, was the language that they were speaking. Because really, when you're trying to trace the roots of civilization, something that many people overlook is the linguistic comparisons and the linguistic similarities between many of these races and search for the root race or the root language of these races. Because if there is a root language that can be traced to all continents, then we do find the root language of this lost culture, this lost civilization. And if we do that, then we do identify the fact that it was a worldwide civilization simply because a worldwide language would clearly confirm a worldwide culture. And not only that, but were we to find a worldwide root language, we would also identify the language that existed before the confusion of the tongues. 
That's a very significant thing, folks, because were such a language ever to be found, then that blows the entire official version of history clean out of the water. Because, as I said, a root language, a worldwide root language, identifies clearly a worldwide culture that existed on this earth. Okay, so enter the research of a little old Hungarian man who came to Australia just after World War II. He was a builder, but also an outstanding linguist. It was a hobby of his, and he spent most of his life since arriving in Australia after World War II researching history, in particular the Australian Aboriginal languages. And what he used to do was he used to go to the Mitchell Library in Sydney into the special reading room archive collection and usually only academics can get access to these types of books but he was granted access in the 1960s by the head of Sydney University simply because the head of the university was very impressed by his remarkable linguistic skills and figured he was safe and he knew what he was doing so he let him in there to study. And so that's how he used to spend his time, mainly sitting in the Mitchell Library, reading through very old books and journals from the very early days of Australian colonisation and generally any other rare old books from around the world that he get his hands on. And the man I'm referring to is a Hungarian man by the name of Attila Flink. And I'm not sure if I should mention his name because I may get in trouble for doing so, but hey, I'm going to do it anyway. Because he was quite well known in some circles, he actually did speak before a parliamentary meeting once to present his research. This was in the early 70s. There was a man called Sir Charles Wentworth actually supported his work and got him to speak at a parliamentary congress with international delegations present. And after he presented his work, the Chinese delegation booed and got up and left the conference. And you won't find any research of this guy on the internet because he never got to publish his work. His work has come to me by way of a friend of his. And it's not actually his work, it's simply notes that this person took of the work that this man was doing. All his work does still exist, but we're not sure whether it will ever be released to the public because of the delicate nature of the work and also because of who is in possession of the work. But what this man did was he worked out with academic proof that right up until the English arrived, the original tribes of Australia were all speaking different dialects of the original Magyar root language. And he focused extensively on Tasmanian and Sydney languages, but he had examples of this proof from all over the country. Now Magyar is the original root language of Hungarian, and it's kind of a mysterious language. We're told it comes out of the Urals, but it's all ridiculous. The story we're told about where it comes from just doesn't make sense. So it's kind of a mystery language. And by removing the true source of where that language developed from the Hungarian people, they've kind of caused the Hungarian people to lose their identity as well. And quite notably, the time that it was put forth that the Hungarian language was rooted in Finnish and Ural language was the same time they annexed Australia. Just a coincidence, of course. But he clearly identified the language of the original people of Australia as having its roots in Magyar. So, of course, Magyar could not have had Finnish and Ural roots, otherwise it wouldn't be found in Australia, and obviously has to come from a wider source. And he realised this because he was actually able to translate many of the old Aboriginal words 
into Hungarian phrases and he was also able to communicate with many of the older Aboriginal tribes because of the root language they were using was basically the same as the Hungarian root language, which is Magyar. So the question has to be asked, how could it be that the Australian Aboriginal was speaking the same basic root language as white Hungarians from Europe? And upon further research, it would also appear that he confirmed that this was also the same root language that was being spoken by tribes in the Incas, the Ecuadorians, the Polynesians, and the Melanesians as well. Basically, everywhere that the European invaders went and stole their lands and claimed as New World discoveries, this language was being spoken. It goes even further. Apparently, according to Flink, when Christopher Columbus discovered the Americas, and which is kind of another grey area to get into because we know that Columbus didn't discover America and it may not have even been Columbus who did the trip, but whoever it was who did that journey, somewhere during that incident, six Incas were taken from South America and were brought back to the Pope in Rome. And when the Pope heard the Incas speaking Magyar, he ordered the Spanish to go and wipe out the entire Inca race, around 42 50 million of them. And I can't bring you any more on that particular information at the moment because I'm still a little vague on that bit, but I will find out more about the Inca-Ecuadorian Central American connection and I'll get back to you on a later show. As I said folks, I'm just pulling at threads here and seeing where they go, but I will get some more information on that and get back to you on it. But it really does make sense that that is why the Spanish went in and wiped out the Incas. You see, it wasn't about the Inca gold. That was just a bonus on the side, but the gold was just a cover story. They didn't go in there to steal the gold. They went in there to wipe out the population because they didn't want them speaking that language. And this would also explain why the remnants of the South American culture that were left after the Inca invasion were forbidden to speak their own language. It also explains why the East India Trading Company wiped out so many shamanistic tribes all around the world. It all begins to make sense when you start thinking that it was the language that they were looking for. Because they needed to wipe out all trace of this language because any trace of this language would have proven that there was a worldwide culture that they were destroying. But it would appear, according to Flink's work, that this was the root language that was spoken in all of these places. And so the Jesuit forces went out and made a very, very concerted effort to clear the world of this root language and to genocide all the people spoke it. They genocided the Incas, they genocided all the Polynesian people, they certainly genocided the Native Americans and then the same thing was done to the tribes in Australia which they wiped out in a similar manner to the way they wiped out the American Indians mainly by giving them blankets with smallpox on them. What they actually did was send in Indian slaves that they kidnapped for sure to the Australian people knowing the Australians would welcome them as brothers but before they sent them ashore, they got long sticks with cotton on the end and smeared them with smallpox that they kept in a jar so they could infect the Australian tribes with smallpox and help wipe them out that way. And this sort of thing is simply not recorded in Australian history at all. We can find it in American history. It's quite a well-known event, but it's not recorded in Australian history at all. And instances of this are apparently recounted by many of the early explorers in the journals that Flink was looking through in the Mitchell Library. It's also noted that the British explorers sent people in there to communicate to the tribes to find out which tribes could speak Magyar 
and then they subsequently went in and wiped all of those tribes out. Once the tribes found out this was happening, they all fled inland. Now that's interesting in itself, but the story goes even deeper than that when you start looking into some of the translations that were pointed out by the work of Attila Fleck. Because as I said, he clearly identified the root language of all the Australian tribes as being based in Magyar. And by doing that, he was also able to gain a much clearer understanding of what actually happened to the original people because much of the story was told in their language, in the names that they were given, simply due to mistranslations. And so it's a very interesting research to look at and actually forms a huge piece of the puzzle that we've all been searching for. Incidentally, he was very heavily ridiculed at the time for even claiming that there was a connection between languages, between Hungarians and Australian Aboriginals. Apparently there was an article, the comical cartoon, that was published in a local paper of an Aboriginal dressed up as a Hungarian and the caption saying, hey, I'm a Hungarian. And that was after he'd done his presentation to the Parliamentary Congress at the request of Sir Charles Wentworth. So a very concerted and deliberate effort was undertaken to discredit this research when it was released and to hush him up and make sure it never got to the public. Apparently he was approached and told not to continue his research by a very irate Catholic priest in the late 60s when he was working on a Catholic church. And there was one stage when all of his work was actually stolen by ASIO and he came home one day two weeks later to find two men sitting in his house with all of his work stacked up on the table, quietly telling him to not make too much noise about what he was researching. And again, folks, I've still got a lot of information to collect on this. I'm just sharing with you what I've got so far because I think it's pretty interesting and I think it's pretty relevant. And again, you might ask, what would be the point of covering all this up? Why would they try to hide it? Why wouldn't they want to find something like a root language? And the reason they would not be wanting to find a root language, folks, is because the discovery of a root language would, as I said, blow the entire official version of history out of the water. And not only that, but it would indicate that it wasn't God that confused the languages, it was actually the Jesuits. And what sort of an impact do you think that information would have on some people's belief systems? But I think we've reached break time here, ladies and gentlemen, so I'll leave it there for now. Thank you for joining me on the air today. 